Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Continuing our series on Demon Hunter. How many of you guys like this series so far? Yeah, all right, one person. Okay, good. I'm glad that you guys like it. Um, it's been a, it, it's been such a fun time being able to, uh, well, I guess fun isn't the right word, but it's been really interesting to be able to talk about really spiritual things. And uh, I've been, I always love hearing people give their feedback from our online community. And I'm always surprised by the people that view on Instagram and Facebook. Because there's a moment where I always think like, no one's watching this stuff. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, uh, someone tells me like, man, I watch every Sunday. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I guess I won't stop doing that. <laughs> but this, this series has been so, um, so practical, so spiritual. And it's just been, I've enjoyed talking about it, even though I was really intimidated to go over these topics. And I want to start with this question. If you look on the screen... How active do you think demons are in people's lives? Remember, we're, we've been talking all about this idea of uh, demonic activity in the world, demonic activity in people's lives, and, and how prevalent it really is. And so when we really get down to it, I mean, the most, I think that what most people think about when they think of like a spiritual possession is like the exorcist, right? They think of like a head spinning around and... And throwing up everywhere, because that's what demons want to do, right? Just throw up on you. Um, and it's just like scary, and it, it's, uh, that's what we usually get the image of. But if that's the case, then there's not really any demonic activity going on too much, right? But what if, what if demonic activity was a lot more um, subtle than we, than we think of? Y'all dig what I'm saying? What if it's actually a little more prevalent? And like I've shared with some of the stories uh, this month before, the first time I cast out a demon of somebody, I was completely shocked that this kid came up for prayer uh, feeling like he was addicted to video games. I was like, that's not a real thing. <laughs> I got that. And, and all of a sudden just praying for him and he started like shaking and convulsing. I was like, oh shoot, like... I didn't take him serious. And something so subtle was a, a spiritual, um, some really heavy spiritual activity. And so today our focus is with our subtitle of exit living. Exit living. And what that means is, is, is living in a way as Christians to where we're always seeing an exit to something that's not of God. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Anything that has a negative influence on your life or your faith, that we have this exit living mentality, that we're walking out of something to go into something better. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And so I wanted to start off um, first with kind of talking about what does, what does bondage really look like? And not the, not the like weird like sexual bondage. I'm talking about like demonic bondage what does it look like when someone is actually being attacked by like an evil spirit and what are the different forms that that these evil demons whatever you want to call them what what does it look like in people's lives y'all interested to kind of actually know what's what it's like yes. <laughs> y'all some of y'all are looking at me like well i know that my ex-boyfriend definitely had a demonic activity i just knew it <laughs> And so I wanted to start off with this kind of background drop of a story. And it's in Acts chapter 16. And we're going to just read 16 through 18. This is, Paul, uh, this is Paul's second missionary journey. And it says, One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. Tight, right? She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, 
I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. This is such a puzzling story. One, it's like, so I should go to that fortune teller. Like, it does work. She's telling the fortune and future for all these people. And then the other part of you is like, oh, so it really is demonic. And one thing that's really interesting to me about this is that this demon is one, possessing this girl, and two, that it, it's, it's benefiting people in some way. When we usually think of demonic activity, we imagine it to just want to like, to where everyone's freaked out and afraid. We never imagine that a demonic activity would actually be benefiting by telling fortunes and futures to people, right? And the other part of it is that it seems like she's trying to help Paul out. These men are preaching the, the most high God. They are preachers of the most high God. They are preachers of the most high God. And it says that Paul got so sick and tired of her following around that he cast the demon out. It's, it almost sounded like she was helping. But see, one thing that, that demons do is that they're, they're so cunning they are so cunning, and they're, one, very territorial. Two, they, they have a mission to distract and to distort. And so the devil's job is not to just kill us here on earth or make us always just terrified or get goosebumps at 3 a.m., but that sometimes a demon's mission is just to distract you from God. To distort what future really is. What truth really is. And it's so interesting because the reason Paul got so exasperated is because while he is trying to... Preaching to people takes strategy. It takes some thought. If, you're gonna, if Paul's going to these places that, uh, that are not Christians, they're all pagan worshiping countries... And he's trying to project to them this completely new belief system by trusting in Jesus Christ, who was a man and God and died and resurrected. It was, a, it was a bizarre story to tell in the time. And as he has a strategy of how to proclaim it to these people, it's like someone is going around and saying what the ending is. And he's trying to prepare their hearts so that they can understand and receive this message because their hearts are hard. And he has to soften it up first. And here this person is throwing the seed ahead of time when the ground wasn't ready. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And, and also, if you've ever had, uh, if you've ever witnessed before a heckler, it, a heckler is someone that no matter what it is, whether it's like a, a political thing, a religious thing, while when someone's talking, they start taking all the attention. They start trying to, to disrupt. It, political things happen a lot nowadays where during some, a political speech, someone will get up with a sign or start yelling, or, et cetera. But even if you've ever seen a video of someone street preaching and there's someone that kind of is just weird and shows up and starts trying to just, like, just throw the person off as they're trying to give a message. That's what a heckler is. And spirits are heckling spirits. They try to distract, disrupt, and distort so that people can really not focus on the message that's being given. And that's why Paul is so exasperated. He's like, man, I'm tired of this. And he just casts the demon out. And after that point, it said that all the, the whole city got so upset that they, they threw him. There was this, big, this whole big thing where they went to court and he ended up having to leave the whole city because he cast his spirit out. And going more in depth into what, you know, getting away from the story and looking at what demonic activity looks like, keeping in mind that demons are territorial, that their mission is to distract and distort truth. I want to give some, some prefaces before we go into the idea of what different type of spiritual bondage looks like. Y'all with me? All right, cool. So one is that in the Bible, every t- there's so many possessions in the Bible and so many different kinds. 
And we're going to go into a lot of scriptures today that I'm going to kind of graze over quickly because there's so many. I'm not going to give you them all. I'm not going to really go in depth, but I want to just share them. But one thing that that the Bible shows is that every time someone was possessed by a spirit, sometimes it was very obvious, like we talked about last week, to where this guy was, the demon was talking for him and everything. It was like everyone knew, it was like exorcist style. And then there's other ones where it's like, it was almost surprising that a spirit was causing that to happen. But one thing that's consistent is that no matter what kind of person was possessed or what kind of possession it was, whatever kind of activity, is that the, the victim of the possession uh, was never at fault. There was never any consequences to the victim. As far as, oh, it's because you did this or because you did that. That's why you're possessed by a demon. Shame on you. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And I, I have friends of mine that had, I'm telling, and I know it's, this is kind of like a bizarre topic for Sunday church. It's more like a life group because you don't want to weird people out and all that. But there, there's friends of mine that, that they were, like, they started manifesting in an evil spirit. And it's like weird and creepy and surprising. But afterwards, you, you ne never did Jesus ever blame a person for having a spiritual attack. Y'all feel what I'm saying? Another thing, just to note, for those of y'all who watched the remake of Pet Cemetery, animals can be possessed. I knew that cat was evil. I knew it all along. I told them they all laughed at me. <laughs> but we see that so clear when... Just last week, we talked about the man that had the legion possess him, and they asked to go in the pigs. So, it, it's, it's bizarre, but we see that in the Bible. Now, I don't know every kind of instance that animal, like, is used for a demon or anything, but we see in the Bible that it's possible. We also see that demons in the Bible have the power to fortune tell, like in this story, give supernatural strength, like we saw last week's story. And even speak through a person and even take control of them. And so we, we see all the, all the way up to like the exorcism. It's like we imagine the exorcism form like, okay, that's the peak. But we see everything in between as well. And so in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, I wanted to give this verse as we go into the different kinds of possession or demonic activity or bondage, because I want us to understand, like, why, why me? Why would, why would this happen to me? Or why would this happen to somebody else? It's because the devil is, a, is like a prowling lion just looking. He is just looking to try to devour somebody, trying to get somebody, anybody. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And so the, the, the top one that we looked at is possession where a spirit literally controls somebody. It, it doesn't, the Bible doesn't say that they're the whole time that they're controlled by this evil spirit. But in Luke chapter 9, verse 42, it says, there's a story where a man came uh, to, for, to heal his son. And it says, as the boy came forward, the demon knocked him to the ground and threw him to violent, into a violent convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit and healed the boy. Then he gave him back to his father. And in this story, it talks about how the father is trying to describe to Jesus what's going on. It says sometimes they'll even, it often can, takes over him and throws him into fire or throws him into the water, tries to drown him. It's like this ongoing thing that's just bizarre. And, and, and so looking at moments like this, it's, these are like the creepiest ones. These are the ones we imagine. And... I remember having a, uh, I was trying to lead an old friend of mine to Christ over the phone years ago. And right when I was trying to get him to say in Jesus name, he just like closed up and couldn't talk. And I was like, I was like, are you eating right now? <laughs> What's going on? And all of a sudden he started yelling and yelling and, and all of a sudden this, this, this voice came on the phone. He's like, you can't have him. And I was like, Oh, free. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. I was like, in the name of Jesus, I plead the blood of Jesus right now. I, I literally was praying over the phone until my phone died. 
And then I called him from somebody else's phone. It, it, was, it was the most bizarre thing that, that had ever happened to me like that. And, and afterwards, he didn't even know what to say. He's like, man, that, I don't, that was so weird. I, I don't know what came over me. I don't know what it was. And it, it's, it's so weird when you experience the supernatural happening in ordinary life. The, the other, the next one that I want us to go into just to talk about is an oppressive spirit, an oppressive one. And in Luke chapter 11, verse 14 says, one day Jesus cast out a demon from a man who couldn't speak. And when the demon was gone, the man began to speak. The crowds were amazed. In Matthew 12, 22, it talks of a similar story with blindness and speaking. And this, this kind of entity is one that's, it's almost like it, it prowls, it like latches onto you. It doesn't control you, but it, it, it's like it, it stops things from happening in your life. And there's a lot of different, even animal representations when it comes to demonic activity. Like, um, like even a, if, a python spirit, a spirit, a demonic kind of spirit that almost wraps around a person and constricts them and makes it makes them feel almost immobile. There's one time uh, I remember uh, uh, seeing this this vision of a, a vulture spirit that would or no, Lauren actually saw it. I'm sorry. This vision of like a vulture spirit that was that was hovering over somebody and clawing on their shoulders and and how any any of the people around this person it, the the vulture would spit at them and we realized later that that this this spirit was like a description of the way of, uh, an oppressive pornography was how it just clings to somebody's shoulders pushes those that are close to them away and there's so many different times there's uh, another moment where, and it's crazy because my wife is so, she has such, she's so sensitive to spiritual things. And she, she had this uh, dream one time of this one room at this workplace where there was these four huge snakes just going like slithering around the room. And for years, we didn't know what it meant until one day we saw those, those people for that, that kind of person that they were. And it just made sense. It's like this, this lurking nature of a spirit that just waits and tries to latch to anything it can. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And it, the way that the Bible even describes this kind of, uh, this latched spirit, this oppressive spirit, is that it literally changes the way that your health is literally changes even even a, one could even look at like if there's a spirit of depression that depression latches onto people and it's like you feel it y'all know what i'm talking about and a lot of a lot of if we were to look at a lot of things in a spiritual sense like that we, we see spiritual activity and now don't get me wrong in no way am i trying to to say um, if you're facing depression, it's because you have an evil spirit on you. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am getting at is that there's sometimes where we do go through situations where it is a spiritual thing. Y'all feel what I'm getting at? I'm trying to portray a balance to where we're not just freaking crazy and telling people that are suicidal that they have an evil spirit. But also recognizing that there are times where we need to pray hard for people because there is a spirit attacking them. Y'all get the balance I'm trying to get at? And, and finally, an attacking spirit. An attacking spirit. And in uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through 2, this is, I think, the best way to describe how the devil attacks it says, this is when Jesus was fasting. It says, then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River, and he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing at all, uh, all that time, and became very hungry. And the reason I wanted to share this image is because 
we see the, the devils literally trying to attack Jesus, but he can't, he can't latch to Jesus, can't try to possess Jesus because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice the connotation that it has there. It says that he's full of the Holy Spirit. And another scripture in Matthew chapter 12 through 43 through 45 Jesus is talking about what it's like for spiritual activity in in this world. He says, when an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert seeking rest, but finding none. Then it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds its former home, talking about a person's soul and their body, their former home swept, empty, and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, Showing that there's a different kind of class system with demonic activity, that there's more wicked demons. Like, you just think all demons are wicked. It says more evil than itself. And they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. That will be the experience of this evil generation, talking about Israel at that time. But what he's describing is when someone is liberated from from an oppressive spirit and an attacking spirit or even a possessive spirit that if they're not filled with something, if they're still empty later, that they're going to be worse off than before. And how many times do we see people led to Christ? And then it's like after a couple months or even a couple years, they don't just fall away. It's like they run away. And it, it seems like they're doing worse stuff than they did before. And that's what happens in church so many times because we never put emphasis on the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and not saying that anyone that leaves the church is like possessed or demon or whatever. But what I'm trying to get at is that Jesus is, that, that scripture connected to this scripture where it says that he was full of the Holy Spirit and that the devil attacked him. That's where a lot of us are right now. To where we, we've surrendered to Christ. We are full of the Holy Spirit. And you feel like you're being attacked. Right? And when the devil attacks it, this is Jesus we're talking about. He's like way stronger than all of us, right? It's pretty, he's got his stuff on lockdown. He prays every morning. I mean, I pray most mornings, but every morning like Jesus, I don't, he's probably a better prayer warrior than me. <laughs> and he's being attacked by the devil. And and notice that we imagine, when we think about Jesus being tempted, it's like, oh, well, those are easy temptations. But it says that they tempted Jesus. It wasn't that Jesus was completely like, oh, of course not, devil. It says that he was tempted. And the things that he was tempted by were, were distractions and distortions of what he was called to do. There's a part where the devil literally tried to tempt him and saying, just worship me. I, and you can have all of this world. You can have all the kingdoms. I won't stop you, but you have to worship me first. And the reason that was a temptation was because the devil was trying to give him a, an idea of having all of the world without having to go through the cross. Without having to go through suffering. That's a temptation. <laughs> it's like, if I could just have my kids without having them as like crying babies... <laughs> Oh my gosh, like, sometimes I think, like, I would actually really enjoy being a father if they just didn't cry so much. <laughs> just kidding, I love being a dad. <laughs> but, see, those were real temptations that the Son of God experienced. And he was attacked while he was weak. And he was also attacked while he was trying to, to really pursue the Father. Why else does someone fast? that find spiritual edification in a great way. And he spent 40 days just pursuing the Father and, and solidifying the, his, his sonship, his kingship, and his, his role with being, uh, with being man and God and son of God, all that. And during this pursuit is when he was attacked the most. So now let's look at our lives. Have you noticed that when you're really pursuing God, you feel like everything bad happens? It's like when the worst things happen. And even to the point where it's also when you're tempted the most. I remember hearing someone say one time, 
that if you're tempted while fasting, then you're really messed up. I was like, well, shoot, I must be really messed up. But then luckily I get to go to the Bible and the Bible is the light to our path. I was like, well, if that's the case, then Jesus is really messed up. The one time that he was ever tempted was while he was fasting. And see, while you're pursuing God, if you are tempted, it's not because you're just the worst Christian ever. If you're pursuing God and you're tempted, it's because you're actually really on the right path. And the devil is is doing anything he can to distract you and to distort what's true. Because what do we think when we're going through that? A distortion of reality, a distortion of truth. We think maybe this is the wrong path for me. While before you knew that it was the right path, the truth was distorted. And being, when we have this attacking spirit, it's the most confusing moments of our lives. We doubt everything. We doubt marriages. We doubt careers. We doubt our relationship with Christ. It's in these attacking moments. But if we recognize that these are actually spiritual attacks, that the, that the devil really is pissed off at you. That he doesn't want you to fulfill God's will in your life. If we were to recognize that and pray instead, we'd actually be able to, to have a defense. Y'all feel what I'm saying? But our go-to is usually the pity party, right? Hey, I love pity parties. I go to every pity party I'm invited to. Because I'm the guy inviting. Get it? It's like a play on words. Streamers and everything. I get punched at my pity parties. Self-serve. These are all just uh, personification and analogies to a pity party, of course. But see, when we're attacked, we're like, man, this would happen. The world is against me. But it's really just the devil against you. Y'all get what I'm saying? And so, let's, let's break out of these temptations, these addictions, and these distractions, or even compromises. I would urge to you, even if you, you feel like you're struggling with an addiction, that I, I, I am so... I'm convinced that those are attacks of, of the devil too. Now look... I have a super addictive personality. Anything I start doing, I can't stop. That's just, that's how I'm made. But there are times where I can recognize like, man, this is just like, why do I even want to do this? And these temptations and addictions, it's not because you're just jacked up in your head like I used to think about myself. But you, you need to look at yourself as a child of God outside of those addictions. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And that, that you, you are not defined by those things. You're defined by what God has done for us. Y'all dig, y'all dig that? And so let's, let's go over the different forms of freedom. So starting from the top down, just like we did with bondage, exorcism or exercising. Just go to the gym and work out that demon to where he can't stand being in there. Just like in Stranger, Three, Stranger Things Season 3. They locked him in the sauna. And the, the evil spirit just couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> That's what it's like when you exercise. Joking. Y'all don't laugh though, so. No, I guess it's not a joke then. It's just... <laughs> uh, Mary Magdalene is a perfect example, along with all the other people that Jesus cast spirits out of. But Mary Magdalene was a person where it says that Jesus cast out seven evil spirits from her. Now you're thinking, like, how many did I have back in the day? <laughs> but she, she went from being a demon-possessed woman that was despised in her community, that no one really liked, to being the first person to see Jesus resurrected. See, that shows that we are not defined by our addictions. We're not defined by our past or any of the things that we've gone through. Any of our mistakes. She's she not only the first person to see Jesus resurrected, 
But Jesus has made her the first, first missionary to tell the good news of the resurrection to the disciples. Think about that. He, the first person he gave authority to give the, the message of his resurrection was to Mary Magdalene, woman that was previously possessed by seven evil demons. That's redemptive, right? So now it's like, well, I guess I'm not that bad. Exorcism, just praying for a spirit to exit a person, to leave, to get out. There's power, just like we learned the previous weeks, just in the name and the blood of Jesus. And then there's going into spiritually lifted and filled, like we just talked about. It's not enough to just have an exit living lifestyle, spiritually and practically, but to have a filling mindset, a filling lifestyle to where you're looking for the things that fill you with the Holy Spirit rather than just looking at the things that empty you of evil things. Y'all dig what I'm saying? It, we need to be spiritually lifted and filled by the Holy Spirit. And finally, in James 4, 7, it says, So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There is some practical self-control and accountability that we need. When it comes to putting walls up, what, what that means is accountability. If, if you have addictions in your life that you're trying to break away from, rather than only looking at it spiritually and thinking, I just need to pray hard enough and it will go away. But allowing yourself to work in spiritual and the physical by putting up some walls around you to protect you. In Proverbs, it says that a, a, a man without self-control is like a, a city with broken down walls. And back in the day, whenever a city had broken down walls, it was always subject to, to raiders, to people to go and hurt the, the citizens, to destroy the town. And so it had to have walls. And accountability... What that means is having somebody else that you can trust to help protect you even from yourself or from bad situations that you don't want to put yourself in. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And when you need accountability, that is not a psycho sign of weakness. It's a sign of wisdom. Because do, does everybody already know internally that no one's perfect? You don't even have to go to church for that, right? You just know as a kid that no one's perfect. And we know that, but when we look at ourselves, we're, we're so condemned and shamed and etc. because we feel like I'm not perfect. And that's why so many people stop going to church because they're, they feel like, well, I'll just accept I'm not perfect, so I won't even try to even do good things now. I'll just do whatever feels good because I'm not perfect. Right? But if we understand that we'll never be perfect, but our life is a pursuit of holiness as Christians, because God is holy, and we want to do things that are, that are honorable to God, not, not the other way around, then self-control is one thing, but accountability is a protection from that. Because I, I know that I don't have good self-control. What about you guys? Yeah? I know that I don't have self-control because I can go to a birthday party for a little kid like I did yesterday, turning four years old. Great, kiddo. Good job. You made it. And I told myself, I'm on a diet. I'm not going to eat sweets. I'm not going to do it. But then they give in everybody cake. Everybody's getting ice cream. And before I went in there, I was like, I'm not going to have any. But then they put it right in front of me. And all of a sudden, my mind gets different. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I'm like, well, it'd be rude to the four-year-old. <laughs> it's going to scar him if I don't eat his cake. Didn't even know I was there. And all of a sudden, it's just like, well, the situation calls for me to eat it, so I'll just eat it. Right? I'm at a birthday party. I might as well eat the birthday cake. Now let's put that scenario in another form. Well, I'm at a party, everyone's drinking, the situation calls for it, so I might as well too. 
Well, I'm with these group of people and they start doing, uh, they start smoking weed and the situation calls for it, so I will too. I told myself I was gonna stop, but now the situation is just, it's a peculiar situation, so I'm gonna just this one time. Y'all know what I'm saying? And see, self-control is good before the situation calls for it. The situation will convince you that your self-control isn't needed that day, every time. Accountability is an outside force to help you when your self-control falls short. Y'all feel me? And accountability is, is those walls to your city, those walls to your city. And there's nothing shameful with needing accountability. For, even for me, my wife has all the passwords on my phone because I don't want to do anything I would regret. She, she not only has all the passwords, but there's passwords that I don't have so that if a situation calls for something ugly, I won't do it. See, that's not shameful. That, that's being smart. Y'all feel that? She... Any message that I get on my phone, she gets on her phone too. See, I don't, wanna, I don't want a situation of adultery to come into play. Y'all dig that? Because I know that I never want to do that. But I, I never want to do that so bad that I want to put somebody else accountable too. So that I make sure that it won't happen. And there's so many times where we fall short and we blame ourselves and we blame ourselves and we blame ourselves because we, we're just not strong enough when it comes to self-control. And all of that, getting back into the spiritual part, the devil wants to attack you. He wants to distract you. He wants to distort anything that's true and good in your life. And if you allow yourself to be in a constant situation of the bad, that's all you're going to get. But it's not enough to just pray for something to go away. You need to be smart yourself. Is that clear to everybody? You're like, I thought we were talking about Van Helsing today. What, this, is a, this is a trick. <laughs> and so let's finish up with how, how can we live with an awareness of exit living? How can we live with an awareness of spiritual stuff in our lives. And I want to read y'all this verse in, in Romans chapter 6, verse 12 through 16. This is Paul talking. He says, Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now... Now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become a slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which le leads to righteous living. So I wanted to share this verse because it, it's really simple. This verse is literally telling us that it's not going to, if you do that, it's not going to get out of your system. That's what a lot of us think about. And it, Paul just breaks it down as like, there's just good and bad. It, there's righteous things and there's sinful things. And the thought of, well, I just need to get it out of my system. I'll just do this thing this one time just to get out of my, my system. What he's describing is that it doesn't get out of your system. It only stimulates it. It only causes it to grow. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And you can look back at your situations, your lives, and you can see so clearly, if you're to be honest with yourself, that it never got out of your system. It only intensified it. It only stimulated it. It only increased. 
Because Paul says, you are a slave of whatever you choose to do. Whatever you choose to obey. And there's so many times where I believe in America, I think there's so many times where demons don't really have to do that much. It's like, they, 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 I just imagine like, them, like all right, how are we going to get this guy? How are we going to get, how are we going to get her? And all of a sudden, like knock on the doors and our body just falls. They're like, oh shoot, they're already here. <laughs> well, that was easier than I expected. We didn't have to do nothing. They came on their own. That's what happens so many times where we, we surround ourselves with evil, with darkness. Y'all, y'all feel what I'm saying? And there's, there's so many verses where Paul says, not everything is sinful, but not everything is good for you either. And instead of looking at, at life as like do and don't, as Christians, that's how we think like, don't do that, but I can do this. But that is a lot funner, right? We, we get so stuck into don't do this, don't do that. Oh, is it sin? Or do you, I don't know how many, ever since I became a spiritual leader or a pastor, I don't know how many times people ask me like, hey, is this a sin? I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> hey, do you think that smoking weed is a sin? I mean, come on. It's a plant and everything. I was like, <laughs> why don't you pray about it? <laughs> I don't know. And there's so many times where people just want to know if this is bad. Okay, I won't do it if it's a sin. Okay. But if it's not a sin, then I want to just go ahead and do it. But see, it's not as much about is it just pure sinful, but is it beneficial to your spirit? Is it beneficial to your faith? It, is that distracting you from God or is it bringing you closer to God? What if we were to look at the simple things of life like that? I mean, so many of us have known about Christianity for, for quite some time in our lives. Some of y'all have been going to church longer than I have. And we know the basics. We know the love of God. We understand forgiveness and redemption and repentance. We, we understand what those things are. And we haven't grown to maturity to where we're trying to grow our faith. It's like we, we don't imagine our faith to grow. We're just like, well, at least I'm not going to hell. Right? But there's a point where we need to develop that faith and grow it. And that's when it becomes so much more enjoyable over time. So many Christians are so sorry because they're just looking over at the, the pleasures of sin. I'm like, man, well, I can't do that. What was me? And they don't feel that great in their Christian lives either because they're not growing it. It feels so stagnant, so old, so boring because they're not stimulating what's healthy in their spirits. They're just stagnant. And I want to encourage us all, let's critically think about whether or not something is damaging or even just not beneficial to our faith. It... Is this, is this, even if we were to look at, if we were to look at our lifestyle in this way, so many times we just think of our religion or our, our dis- disciplines or our religious practice, prayer, reading the Bible. Well, I need to pray and read. But what if we implement Christianity into our lifestyle to where we look at even a movie that we would normally see like, is this really healthy for my spirit? Is this really good for my faith? Y'all feel what I'm saying? I don't know how many times where I turn movies halfway off because it's just like this is this is portraying something other than I want. Y'all, if we were to take our Christianity as a lifestyle rather than just a, a one day event, you you'd grow so much in your satisfaction of your faith to where your Christianity wouldn't be boring anymore. It'd be it would be really awesome, glorious. It, all those words would make sense to you because you were growing something greater. Y'all dig that? The last thought I want us to have is living with an attitude of trying to find God's presence in all things. Trying to find God's presence. And when I say God's presence, do you, do you know what that feels like? Ask yourself, do I really know what God's presence feels like? And if you do, 
that presence is something to chase. It's something to, that is so life-giving. I mean, how many times have you been in just horrible day? Bad. But that one song on the radio comes on, right? And you're alone in the car. You're like, <laughs> I needed this. Uh. <laughs> or maybe, maybe not even brought to tears, but you just heard, it's like you went to church or you heard a message. It was like that one moment to where when something was said, not only did it, like do something in your thoughts, but you felt it. You felt it in your soul. You felt like a presence about you to where it was like you knew something was different at that moment. See, that, that presence of God is something so special and it's accessible to us all the time. And if we were to live with the lifestyle of trying to, trying to find his presence, we would be so much more satisfied as Christians. We wouldn't be, you know why the, the, y'all ever met those Christians that just seem like they're mad all the time? <laughs> it's because they're, they're living Christianity without his presence. Doing that, you're just going to get mad. You're going to be bitter. If you chase the presence of God, that's when you meet those Christians like, man, they just seem happy all the time. What are they putting in communion nowadays? They just seem too happy. Why are they always in a good mood? And that's what God's presence can do. And the one thing that stops us from really chasing God's presence is the same thing I talked about last week. And is that it's that feeling of unworthiness. That feeling of unworthiness. That feeling that, well, I'm just too, I'm just too dark. I'm too sinful to chase after God's presence. If I try to chase after God's presence, he'd throw up. He wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. And I want to read you all this verse, Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1 through 2. It said, Then the angel showed me Jeshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. The accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand, making accusations against Jeshua. And the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusations, Satan. Yes, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. This man is like a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire. Let me break this down. Like, what did I just read? It says that the devil is, is literally pointing the finger at the high priest, Jeshua. This guy and saying, look how sinful he is. You're, gonna, you're not going to just smite him right now. You should just thunderbolt him right now. He's such a horrible person. Look how shameful that is. And what does God say? I reject your accusations. See, that's the way we feel right before that point. We feel all of the fingers pointing at us in our spirits. Like, look how messed up you are. Look how dark you are. Look how ruined you are. And we never allow ourselves to hear what the Bible tells us. That we're redeemed. And it's... And God says, I reject your accusations. I reject it. And then he says, the most life-giving thing I think I could ever hear. He says, this man is like a burning stick that's been snatched from the fire. What he's saying is that he was in a, a complete world of sin represented as this fire. And that when he was taken out, don't you think that stick is going to be still smoldering? That's the analogy he's giving. If you take a stick from the fire, and even if you put the fire out on that one stick, it's still going to smell like smoke for a while. It's still going to even have some embers that, need to, that might be needed to put, get put out over time. The best part is you took it out of the fire, but it's not going to just become a normal stick just like that. It's going to take time for the smell to go away. It's going to take time for it to not be so hot, for it to cool down. And this is the description he's giving of sin in a high priest. And now look at our lives. Do you think that God doesn't understand that you spent 20 years living a lifestyle of crazy sin? That's going to be hard for you to stop a couple things? That 
He knows that you're working on it. And so just because you're not fixed in one day, he's not waiting to accept those accusations. He rejects even the accusations you make of yourself. And if we were to just accept that this is the way God sees us in this final verse right here, that even when accusations are true, he says, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to hear that. I know what he's been through. I know what she's been through. And it's hard for them to get through it. It may take some time, but they're going to see what, what's really life-giving in their lives. And I'm, going to, I'm a patient God. I'm a loving God. They're, they're doing their best today. If we could allow ourselves to see God as the God he describes himself as, then chasing his presence is a lot easier to do. And so I want us to all close our eyes and bow our heads. And if you're here right now, and maybe that's the thing that you need to do today, I want us to give each other privacy, and I want you to keep your eyes closed and heads bowed. If you're here today, and maybe you need to make the first step of chasing God's presence by making Jesus the Lord of your life and the Savior of your soul. Maybe this is a time where you're doing it again. But at this moment, you're ready to be snatched from the fire. With every head still bowed and eye closed, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. And so now what I want you to do is, if you raise your hand, or even if you wanted to, or if you've already made this decision for Christ in your life, I want you to pray with us too as a reaffirmation of your faith, a reaffirmation of how God sees you. So pray with me. Say, Jesus, I want to see myself the way you see me. As forgiven and redeemed and full of purpose. I want to see your hand at work in my life. And I want to live in your freedom and in your presence. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And for the sins of the world. And most importantly, I believe you rose from the dead. Proving yourself the son of God. So be the Lord of my life and the Savior of my soul. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.